That's all right. Okay, here we go. You got your Bibles? Grab them. Let's open them up. First John chapter 2. Well, actually, let's look at First John chapter 1, and we'll kind of do a quick review of everything that we've done so far. First John chapter 1, so far we've seen and we've been encouraged by John to take a look at a couple of things or to consider, not just consider, but actually to incorporate them as part of our life. Look at verse 7. He says, If we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus His Son, cleanses us from all sin. He encourages all believers to walk in the light as the Word of God illuminates our life or shows us where we fall short of what God's plan is. He says, look, the Word of God is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. When the Word of God shows you that what you're doing doesn't line up with what God wants you to do, He says, hey, conform to that and live a life accordingly. He goes on and then gives us the second little hint or the tip that goes along with growing. He said, hey, look, if the Word of God shows you an area of your life where you're falling short and you're not living up to God's standard, then what you need to do is you need to confess that area. You need to agree with God, hey, Lord, you're right. I'm not living up to what you say according to your standards. I'm falling short of what you want for my life. And so I confess that. I'll agree with you that it's right. What you say is right. What I'm doing is wrong. And I'm going to turn from it and I'm going to head another direction. And he encourages us to confess our sin. And if we do so, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us that sin and cleanse us from the unrighteousness. And he goes on and he says that we should also keep his commandments in verse 3 of chapter 2. He says that we need to keep His commandments. And by this we know that we've come to know Him. And evidence of the fact that you have come to know Christ is whether you're willing to walk daily in obedience with what He says is right or wrong. God Himself to walk in the same manner as Jesus walked. So Jesus Christ becomes our example of how we should live our life. If you claim to have come to know Christ by inviting Him into your life, by believing that He's God's Son in human flesh that died for your sins, if you claim that that's true of your life, then you ought to follow his example in how he lived his life. Everything that he did, the way that he handled uh, persecution, the way that he handled stress, the way that he handled problems uh, that had come up in his life, those are the things that we need to incorporate. What would Jesus do in the situation that I'm in? What would he say to the person I'm about to talk to? That's what I need to do. I need to be conformed into the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ, if you claim to be a Christian. Then he says in verse 10 and 11, it says, The one who loves his brother abides in the light. And there's no cause for stumbling in him. Let me just clarify something here. If you are a Christian, and you claim to, by, by claiming to be a Christian, we should have love for one another that puts the other person's needs and desires and life before our own. He's saying that if, there is love, if I have love for you, I shouldn't do anything in my life that will cause you to stumble in your walk with Christ. That's true love. Saying, if, if, if what I'm about to say, or what I'm about to do, or how I'm about to handle a certain situation will cause you to stumble in your relationship with Christ, if I truly love you, I won't do that. You see what he's saying? There is no cause for stumbling in him. A person who loves God and wants to live by his commandments will not be a cause of stumbling for others who are, are struggling in their growth. So he goes through it. Now that brings us up to where we left off last week. And that is in verse 15 through 17. He says there's a love that's right. And he also says there's a love that's wrong. And that's the love that we're going to be talking about this morning. And that we started to discuss a little bit last week. And this is the love that God hates. And in verses 15 through 17, we're going to take a look at that. It says this. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone... If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life, 
It's not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away, and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God abides forever. Let's just ask God to bless our time. Our Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to uh, be together again, to look into your word, to see what you have to say in practical ways as they apply to each of our lives. God, as we're confronted with your truth, may we conform to your ways. May we walk in the light. May we not hide in the shadows and do the things that aren't pleasing to you, but may we be open and transparent. May what people see be exactly what they get. May we not live lives of double standards, but may whoever we are, may we be that all the time. And we just thank you. Now we need an understanding, Lord, of what you call the world and its system. We need an understanding of the things that you're going to discuss that will hinder us. And uh, we just ask that uh, as we're confronted with it, that we'd be willing to confess our failures and our weaknesses and that we can conform to what you'd like. And we just thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, this is a part I really enjoy. I've, I've enjoyed it here just a moment ago, and that's the audience participation part of our program. And um, let me ask you a question. For those of you who were here last week, first of all, do you remember being here last week? That will be the starting point. Okay, you do remember being here. Now I can move on to the next step. And that is, what did we discuss last week? Huh? Oh, yeah, you hate being in the front row because you never know. It's like the easiest people to pick on. You weren't here? Oh, okay. She said you were. What? We discussed that. Very good, Deborah. That, I mean, it's, uh, what did, does anybody remember what we talked about? Okay, yeah, levels of Christian growth. That, that, you know, what he was saying is if you go back through and look at 12 through 14, that there are levels of growth. Not all of us are on the same page at the same time in our walk with Christ. You know, and, and what he wants to get across to us very clearly and distinctly is that all of us should be in a growing stage. Christian life, three steps forwards, two steps backwards, whatever, but we better be making some progress. We better be moving ahead. As we're confronted with God's Word, we should be making some progress. Our problem is, you know, if you have children, I've got three, right? And they live there all the time. They're pretty much full-time children. And um, they're always there. I don't see them grow up. I don't, I don't see it because it happens so subtly. You know, they just kind of inch up a little bit at a time. Now, somebody who hasn't seen my children come to our house and say, man, your kids have really grown. I don't see that because they're doing it right before my eyes. So what it takes oftentimes is, particularly when we have a a lot of uh, close friends that we spend a lot of time with, we don't recognize the work that God's doing in their life because it just is invisible to us. Somebody else comes and sees them and says, man, you can't even be the same person that I used to know. What's happened to you? And so we should be making some progress. And so John very clearly lays that out in that particular section. And in fact, if you take a look at it, look what he said in verse 12. There are several factors that he relates to growth. The first thing he writes to baby Christians, he says, Look, little children or babies, I'm writing these things to you because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. You can't get off go until you have a firm understanding of why it is that you've been forgiven. You can't, you can't go past go, you can't collect $200, you can't get anywhere in your Christian growth until you understand that the only reason you are a Christian is because God actively sought you. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save those who were lost. He actively sought you. You responded to His grace by simply believing that Jesus was who He claimed to be. That He died for your sins. There's nothing you can do There's nothing you cannot do. Everything is complete in the work of Christ on the cross. When you understood that, 
And it's only because God allowed you to understand it, Matthew 16. We can't even come to Christ on our own. We don't have the ability to do it, but God opens our eyes to see Him for who He really is and then respond to His grace. When you accept Christ, you accept Him for what He did and not for anything you've ever done. We don't come to God on our own terms. We simply believe by faith, and it's by God's grace, that we're saved based on what He says and not on works. So what he's telling new Christians is very simple. Look, you know what? Get this thing down and write it down and understand it very clearly. You are saved because of what Jesus did and not for anything else that you can think of in your life. That's it. So he says, and that's why he said this, your sins are forgiven you for Christ's sake, for his sake. See, what God did is God the Father honored what Jesus did on the cross. That's why it says in Hebrews 12 that he despised the shame, that he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. The promise that everyone who the Father gave Jesus would he'd never lose was what is being talked about here. And that is that Jesus, by obedience, Philippians chapter 2, humbled himself to the point of death on the cross. He died on the cross, and because he did so, therefore God took his name and highly exalted Jesus above every other name that ever lived and walked the face of the earth. That at his name, every knee would bow, every tongue would confess that Jesus is God to the glory of God the Father. See, you follow what's going on? So new Christians, you need to get that down once and for all Because what will happen is when you stumble in your walk, as you're going forward, then you fall backwards, you'll begin to question whether you're really accepted by God. Oh, I screwed up. Oh, no, does God still love me? Does He still accept me? Yeah, He accepts you not because of you, but He accepts you because of what Jesus did. You see? And He'll always accept that. No matter what you do or don't do. No matter how you mess up or don't mess up. No matter all the good things that you do. Let me tell you something. There's another side of this, too. And for new Christians, you need to understand this. (laughs) you're not going to be not accepted by God because you make a mistake any more than you're going to be accepted more by God because you're out serving Him and doing things He wants you to do. No better, no worse. Because everything's for Jesus' sake. Alright? So we need to get a good handle on that. So he goes on and he tells us about it. Then he also talks about spiritual growth. He says, uh, look at verse 13. I write to you fathers because you know them. What he's saying is if you're going to grow, you need to understand you can't grow until you have a relationship with God. You need to know Him personally. Not know of Him, not hear of Him, not go to church, not hear talked about. But you have to come to a point in your life personally. Every person, listen to me. You have to ask yourself this question. Is there a time in my life where I personally, me, nobody else, no other pressure from anybody, where I chose to believe that Jesus is God, that He died for my sins, that He proved He was God by raising from the dead? Is there a point in my life where I ask Jesus Christ to come into my life? Bible says, for as many as received Jesus, to them he gave right to become children of God, indicating an intimate relationship, even to those who believe upon his name, meaning they put their total faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross. Not believe, oh, I believe in Jesus, I've heard of Jesus. No, 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 no. You believe upon his name that his death is sufficient for you to make you right with God. Have you got to that point in your life personally? Because you can't grow if you're not a child of God. You can't grow up if you've never come into, into his program. You see what I'm saying? So a hindrance to growth is that you don't know him. You pick this book up, you read it, it doesn't make any sense. It's not going to make any sense because it's not written to people that don't know God. It's written to those who put their faith and trust in Christ. It's a personal letter. It's from God the Father. It's an intimate letter from God to his children saying, listen, kids, here's what I got some instruction for you. 
That's what this is. The Holy Spirit's job is to convict those who don't know Him of the sin in their life, using us as His instruments, because the Holy Spirit resides in those who have accepted Christ, to be able to use us to challenge people around us that they're falling short of God's program. So He's saying, hey, folks, you can't grow up unless you become a kid. And the only way you become a child is by accepting Jesus. So He says, fathers, you know what? You've matured because you have come to know Him. See, God is personal to those who have asked Jesus Christ into their life. Then he goes on. He says, okay, well, you know what? I'm also written to you young men. Why? Because you're strong. And what? And the word of God abides in you. So he said that if you want to grow, now you need to get into his word. And that's what we concentrated on last week. You need to get into this book and you need to read it and you need to spend time in it and you need to study it and you need to digest it and you need to do it again and you need to chew it up and you need to go through it over and over again. You can't get enough of this. And he said that people that are growing and maturing in their faith, there's a direct relationship between their growing and maturity and the amount of time that they spend in this book. You can't please God if you don't know what pleases Him. You don't, you, you don't know whether you're doing what's wrong until you know what's right. Although the Holy Spirit in your life, if you've come to know Christ, is going to convict you of sin in your life. He's going to make you uncomfortable about doing that which isn't pleasing to God, but you still don't know, and all it takes is enough people around you to tell you that what you're doing is okay, and you can pretty much quench that voice of the Holy Spirit in your life and tell them to shut up, and it can't be that bad because everybody's telling me it's right. Then you read the book and you go, oh man, what does that mean? Well, I think I know what it means, and uh, I don't want to read this anymore. <laughs> right? That's what happens because we're confronted with the truth. He says, man, you better get and spend some time in here if you want to grow up. So that's what we're talking about. So growth has to do with the regular ingestion of the word of God like newborn babes Peter wrote that we need to long for the pure milk of the word that in it you may grow in respect to your salvation no other way you'll know where you're at in your walk with Christ until you're spending time in here it's the only way to do it and I, and I, and I think and I appreciate the fact that I think that's why we get together every week because we need to know what God's perspective is and it's wonderful to be able to do that so anyway now the question becomes do you remember now I, now I remember this I'm not as old as some of you, but I remember this. When I was growing up, there was a time when um, cigarette manufacturers and, and uh, producers, distributors, were able to advertise on television. How many of you remember that? Remember that? Do you remember, like, growing up, like, wanting to be, like, pro- probably not a lot of you gals would want to be, but you remember growing up, like, guys that wanted to be, like, the Marlboro Man? You know, the guy was a pretty cool guy. He had that horse, man. He was, he was, he was a stud, man. The guy was all right. You know, and, and it was like, be the Marlboro Man. Or if you remember the other commercial was uh, I'd Rather Fight Than Switch. I forget, was that Lucky Strike, Benson and Hedge? Lucky Strike, is that what it was? You know, and they always had a person with black eye. It's like, don't make me switch, I'll kick your butt. You know, Saratoga's? Oh, Saratoga's, okay. I knew that if I threw it out, I'd get some right answers in here. But, um, but it's like, and the Surgeon General didn't know anything about anything because he didn't exist. And there wasn't, there wasn't things on the, the packet of cigarettes that warned you that, you know, it used to be uh, you, that it may be harmful for your health. That's what they put on there. Um, and then it became, if you smoke this, you die. Uh, pretty much, that's what it is. That is cutting right to the message. That's the heart of the message. But that's what, that's what it ended up being. But you know what? I mean, th- that stuff would have not scared me. But there's one thing that always scared me about s- smoking. You know what it was? What was the one warning that always worked? Yeah, it'll stunt your growth. Nice to think, oh man, I don't want to grow up to be like Billy Barty or something, you know? It's like, not that Billy Barty's a bad guy, but you're thinking, I don't want to be stunted here, you know? And, and like the rest of the stuff didn't bother me. Oh, you may die. Well, yeah, right, right. But then when they say, it'll stunt your growth. Oh, man. 
that worked. That worked pretty good. So let me just share with you some things. That this is kind of like this is what John this is what John says. This is like, um, hey, this will stunt your growth. All right. It may be hazardous to your health, and it certainly will. It may cause you all kind of problems, and it certainly will. It may destroy your life, and it certainly will. But if none of that thing, none of that really clicks into your head, because it's obvious that you know you smoke these, you die. It doesn't work. People still do it, right? So there's something about human nature that it's like, don't do it. You're going to do it. And then you'll say, see, they were wrong. But in this case, it's going to stunt your growth. Well, yeah, I see. And you know what? And what bothers me is I'd probably be 6'3 if I didn't smoke that one cigarette that one day. I remember that. <laughs> so that's the thing that really drives you crazy about this program, you know? Just like all my life I'm thinking, I won, Lizzie. Cigarette cost me three inches and the NBA. Anyway, here we go. You ready? These things will stunt your growth. Let's go through. One, two, three. Okay. This is what John says. Don't love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man are the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does come not from the Father but from the world. Okay? He's going to go through and he's going to give us four biblical things, four biblical facts to consider. Okay? Number one, basic requirement. You've got to stop loving the world. Bottom line of what the Bible teaches is that our natural desires are to do those things that are not pleasing to God. That's sin nature, and it's in opposition to the things of God. Uh, the Bible uses it in uh, uh, contrast uh, the lust of or, or f- the flesh versus the spirit, living in the flesh versus walking in the spirit, living in darkness versus walking in light. There's two ways to live. Basically, that's it in a nutshell. There's God's way in our way. Okay, and what He's saying is, you need to stop loving the, the way of the world your way, and you need to start loving God's way. Now, it's very difficult to do, and we saw that basically that the world system is a mindset or an attitude that's in direct opposition to the things of God. So God's kingdom, God's program is one way. Satan's program that he has here on earth, and Jesus called him the prince of this age or world, that he heads up that world system that's in opposition to God. So Satan and his world system and those who he has working with him, according to Ephesians 6, which happened to do with demons and other uh, seducing spirits and influences that cause us to want to go against the grain, so to speak, go against God's ways, that's a world system that says do this, and God's world system says, no, 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 you better do that. So he says stop loving Satan's way of doing things and that system. Look for a moment at John chapter 17. John chapter 17. And one of the most difficult things, and you'll see several usages of the word world, one of the most difficult things is that as Christians, we are in the world, but we're not of the world. We are here on planet Earth. We are surrounded by a system that's in opposition to God, and yet we're not to become conformed to the world, Romans 12. One and two, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, which has to do with understanding God's ways. So we're in the world, we're not of the world, we're influenced by the world, we're bombarded by the world, and yet we're to live differently in the midst of a world system that's in total opposition to God. And it's a very difficult thing, because sometimes it's tough to know which system is influencing us which way. And in John 17, look at um, verse 6 for a moment. Jesus said, I manifested thy name to men whom thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept thy word. 
said, I've made known to those who are living in the world who I am. And you've given them to me. He's speaking of the Father. He says, you've given them to me. And when I have them, in no way will they ever leave my hands. I'll always protect them. They'll always be safe. He says, you've given them to me out of this world system. He has taken men and women and he has chosen us. And he has taken us out of a world system that's in opposition to God. And though we still live in this world and are still influenced by the world, we are not of the world anymore. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you become a foreigner, a sojourner, an alien to this world here. Our citizenship is in heaven. It's not of this world. We don't live here anymore the way that we used to before we came to know Christ. So what he's saying is, it's kind of like, maybe the best illustration would be, when you accept Jesus Christ, uh, you become like a scuba diver. And you're placed in an environment, or you're in an environment that just isn't natural for you. If you're underwater, you know, 40, 60, 100 feet, you can't breathe without some help. You can't function without some help. And so what, what it, God ends up saying is that, you know, the problem that we have as Christians is we believe somehow we can function without God's help in an environment that's totally hostile to our uh, success in surviving. This world wants to kill you. This world wants to swallow you up. This world system wants to do everything to you to hinder you in your growth. This world system will stunt your growth. Just as you need breathing devices to survive in 60 or 80 feet of water, God says you need some devices to help you to survive as Christians in a world that's totally hostile in an environment that's trying to swallow you up. So it says these things will stunt your growth. So the first thing he wants us to get across is, look for a moment, look at verses 15 through 23. He says, man, you know what? I want you to understand something. I do not ask thee to take them out of the world. You know, sometimes you get to that point as a Christian, you think, God, just beam me out of here. You know, beam me up. You ever see that license plate bumper sticker or whatever? It's like, get me out of here, man. This world is in opposition to God's ways. This world is a constant torment in my life. I just want out of here. I want to be with Jesus. I want to see what reality is really like. I want to spend time in eternity with Him. And I want to see how great life can actually be in an environment where sin is not present. I can't wait to get to heaven. And I'm looking forward to it. And so sometimes you get to the point where you're just so constantly bombarded by this world system and you get so oppressed by it, you just say, Lord, I want out of here. I want out of here. He says, but I didn't ask them to take them out of the world. But what I did ask of the Father is that he would keep them from the evil one. That God would protect us from a world system that's trying to destroy us. He says, they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. Jesus is not of this world system and neither are those who claim to follow him. He says, sanctify them in truth. And he said, the word of God is truth. You see that? The only way that we're protected in a world that's hostile to us, our breathing apparatus is the word of God. It's the only thing that keeps us from falling off the edge and going in a direction that's not pleasing to God. He said, sanctify them, set them aside in thy word because your word is truth. The word of God is true. It's open, it's transparent, it's exposed. And the wonderful thing about it is, I don't hesitate on sharing with anyone because God's program is right. Because once they see what God has to say and the destruction and the consequences in their life of doing things their way, you just open it up and say, hey, who knows you better than God who made you? Who knows you better than a God who knows the end of the story and is working everything in His timing to get to that end? Who knows you better than God who loves you and gave Himself for you? Who loves you more? This world or God? who can take you and set you aside from it. So you just go through and say, here's the Word of God. Here, sanctify Him. Set Him aside in the Word because the Word's truth. 
Then he says, and you know what? You, send, you sent me into the word, world, and I also have sent them into the world. So why I selfishly want to get out of here sometimes, I need to understand that, you know what? My mission is, my responsibility is to be in the world of people who are hostile to God so they can see the love of God somehow or another manifested through my life and what Jesus has done for me. That's my job. That's my responsibility until he calls me out of here or until he comes back. That's what every one of us have to do. So when you selfishly think, I want out of here, don't forget what your mission statement is. You need to be here because God helped the rest of this world when there's not a believer in sight who can see the ways of God. That's our job. So that's what he says. So now the problem that we have is, what are some of the things that Satan will use to try to hinder you in growing? First thing that he'll use to stunt your growth. You ready? He says it's the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh will stunt your growth. Now we need to understand what that is. Okay? The lust of the flesh will stunt your growth. The bottom line of it is, if you want to take a look at um, Galatians chapter 5 for a second, is that literally it refers to unrestrained passion and uh, sinful gratification things that you'll do to uh, seek to satisfy our desires, your desires, um, with things that God forbids. That's as simple as it gets. Do not love the world nor the things of the world. And he said, now you've got to remember that one of those things is the lust of the flesh. Look at Galatians for a moment, chapter 5. And we'll just show you specifically what he's talking about. Verse 16, he says, I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not carry out the desires of the flesh. Going up to uh, verse 17, for the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, for these things are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under law. Now, he says the deeds of the flesh are evident. What you need to be thinking is, okay, these things right here, the lust of the flesh, these things will stunt my growth. These things will stunt my growth. These things will hinder me from growing spiritually. And he goes on and he tells us what they are. Here's the things that will stunt your growth. Immorality. Okay? Immorality will stunt your growth. I want to go through this a second and explain to you how this works. Immorality, uh, impurity, sensuality. Sensuality specifically is that there's no standards whatsoever. There's nothing right, nothing wrong. If we don't live in a day and age where that's the truth, we never will. There are no social standards anymore. And, I, and I'll explain that. He says it's, that, it, that, the, that the, the flesh is evident... When there are no standards, sensuality, it's okay as long as it pleases you. If, is, that, I mean, is that our world system or what? Hey, don't worry about it. What's, in, what's immoral anymore? Nothing's immoral. As long as you're consenting, as long as you're in agreement, nothing's immoral. Well, what's a standard? There are no standards. It's as long as you don't hurt somebody else. And even if you hurt somebody else, if, if, if you're not responsible for it, then it really doesn't matter. I didn't mean to do it. Okay, never mind. You didn't mean it? That's fine, as long as we know you didn't mean it. Or I did mean it, but it was just in a moment when I was, I was upset. Oh, we all have bad days. That's okay. And you go through it. And he says, well, idolatry, sorcery. Sorcery has to do with witchcraft. Witchcraft always had to do with drug use. Drug usage was always popular and always used in conjunction with sorcery and witchcraft. So there he's saying, that, hey, guess what? Deeds of the flesh, immoral, um, impurity. Oh, drug use. Outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying. These are all things that will stunt your growth. Uh, drunkenness, carousing, running around, hanging out, doing things that aren't pleasing to God. I forewarn you that those who, I forewarn you that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. 
that's your lifestyle, you better check whether you've ever had a relationship with God through Christ. If you slip up and make a mistake every now and then, well, it's just it's stunning. Your growth is what it's going to do. Now, let me go through and let me ask you some very basic questions. Is there anything wrong with eating? Huh? Could be, huh? <laughs> is there anything wrong with eating? Man, I love to eat. All right, yeah, what's the problem? Who said that? All right, overeating, gluttony. God says gluttony is a sin. Um, let me ask you this. Is there anything wrong with thirst? Anything wrong with thirst? All right, what's the problem? Well, yeah, what you're thirsty for, and not so much even what you're thirsty for, but what it does to you. How about drunkenness? All right, there's a difference between having a beer and a difference between drinking a keg. Wait a minute, I mean, and that's what, and that's what we need to understand. See, because what God is saying is, hey, wait a minute, is there anything wrong with sex? Depends on how you do it, right? That section over there, I'm not even, don't even participate. Got the bullpen over there. Is there anything wrong with sex? Not if it's in marriage. Hey, the way I read the Bible is, in marriage, have a great time. It's one of the greatest gifts God's given a married couple. Have at it, have fun. But is there something wrong with sex outside of marriage? Like everything. Immorality. All sexual activity outside marriage is looked at as sin in the Word of God. Whether it's homosexuality, adultery, fornication, whether it's rape, incest, bestiality, whatever it is, all those things are wrong according to the Word of God. So what he's saying is, guess what? There are things that are in and of themselves not bad, but can be. God gives us desires. God's given us emotions. God has given us all that. And it's stop and we can all agree. That's true. But here's where the problems start. Well, if God didn't want me to do this, why does he give me this desire? Oh, wait a minute. Now, we're, we're reading into something here. Well, if, if, if this is the way it's supposed to, if this way my needs are supposed to be met, and they're not being met that way, then why can't I have them met in another way? Because God says they're wrong any other way. So it's not an option anymore. Well, that doesn't seem fair. Well, who cares whether it seems fair? That's what it is. You see what the problem is? And what Satan does is he takes God-given emotions and desires that are in and of themselves okay. And he wants you to somehow or another fulfill them in a way that's forbidden by God. You following that? That's very important to understand. Because that will stunt your growth. And if you go through it... Now, see, that's the way the world operates. What the world says is, sex outside of marriage is okay. As long as you take a shower afterwards, and as long as you wear a condom, and as long as you let the person know that you may be carrying the AIDS virus. I mean, we're coming up with all kind of new rules. You know, the list goes on and on. And as long as if somebody has a venereal, venereally contracted disease, they notify the health department. Oh, okay, what else? What, what, what other rules are we going to add to this list to try to somehow or another tell the world that it's okay? The world system says it's okay. If you're an adult and you're consenting, and, and here's the latest. And what people do in the privacy of their own home, it's okay. Guys, guys, gals, 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 guys, 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 gals, gals. Doesn't matter. As long as they're all showering and they're all wearing condoms or whatever. <laughs> do whatever you want to do. See, and, and that's the world system that says it's okay. And see, what I'm trying to get across is there's nothing wrong with sex. It's a great gift given by God for those who are married. Heterosexually married. But outside of marriage, it's wrong. 
See? see? See what the world tries to have you believe? It's okay as long as you do it right. You can sin, but sin right. What does that mean? Okay, now they take the next step. Here's the next one. Um, um, you can get drunk, and it doesn't matter if you're 16, 17, doesn't matter if it's after your graduation party, doesn't matter if it's whatever it is. You can get drunk, but please don't drive. Please don't drive. That's the world system that we live in. My daughter comes home from high school and says, uh, Dad, there was a party at so-and-so's house, and his dad went out and got all the beer because he'd rather have them getting drunk at their house than out somewhere partying. Hey, if that's not the world system, nothing is. See, what it's saying is this world's screwed up. Somehow or another, we have to find some way to control it so that people don't get hurt in the midst of it. So I can understand a natural mind thinking, okay, well, as long as they're all here, I can watch them. No one's going to be hurt. They'll all be right here. I'll even go out and get it for them. You see what happens? I hear Christians say this. Look, I've got to teach my children about birth control. I'll even go buy it for them because I'd rather have them understand birth control than have to deal with the consequences of an unwanted pregnancy. Hey, you've been there and you've heard it. And the only reason I'm sharing it is not to, not to nail you who have done that, but to help you to see that we are living in a world system that constantly is bombarding us with things that aren't true. So instead of saying, God says, don't do it. And if you struggle with it, then we need to find some creative ways to express that energy that you have. We need to find some way to channel it so that it's still pleasing to God. But the world system says, no, 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 it's okay. You can still do that. Just do it right. My kids are coming home with this stuff all the time. I'm hearing it all the time. What am I going to tell them? I better be able to tell them what God has to say about it. Hey, look, you know what? I know you're being hammered with the temptation of it, but let me just tell you something. It's wrong. It's wrong according to God, and He loves you more than anyone because He's the one who shed His blood for you. None of your friends ever died for you. Jesus did, though. So He paid the price to have the privilege of being able to tell us what's right and wrong. And that's what He does. So you deal with that and you go through it. And like the world just bombs you. I want to just read a couple quotes that maybe will help make some sense. Carl Menninger is a psychiatrist wrote this in 1978. He wrote a book called Whatever Became of Sin. This was his quote, 1978. It said, in the discussion of the sin of, the, uh, the sin of lust, which applies very well to what we're talking about, it says we have to allow for a considerable shift in the social code during this past century. It has been called a revolution and perhaps it is. Many forms of sexual activity, which for centuries were considered reprehensible, immoral, and sinful anywhere, and their public exhibition simply anathema, are now talked and written about and exhibited on the stage and on the screen. A year later, Jerry Bridges wrote in his book, Honesty, Morality, and Conscience, he wrote this, We live in an age of freedom of expression and freedom of lifestyle. X-rated movies and magazines are available in every city, Legislation to control pornography has failed in most places. The sexual fiction of yesterday is a reality of today. Magazines displayed in supermarkets present articles featuring unmarried couples living together. Sex manuals advocate extramarital affairs. Fewer and fewer teenagers leave high school as virgins. Primetime television flaunts homosexuality and infidelity. That's, that's, that's 13 years ago. You can't turn the TV on today. You can't watch a TV show that somebody's not shacking up with somebody and it all looks like it's okay. And the world system is suddenly telling us it's okay. 
it's okay, it's okay. Every movie you see, every TV program you see just tells you this. It's okay, it's okay, it's okay. Why don't you watch one of those shows in the, and, and, and look at it from the standpoint of your children? What is this thing teaching? Oh, so-and-so live together. It's okay, it's okay, it's okay. So-and-so aren't married, and the next thing you see, they're, they're rolling around in the hay together, and then they cut to a commercial. And then they show them in the next morning getting up out of bed and having breakfast or whatever. What are they implying? They slept together. They had sex. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. And the world system keeps bombarding us with subtle messages that say it's okay. And God says, no, it's not. The world says it's okay. The word says it's not. What are you going to believe? What are you going to believe? That's the truth. I mean, that's the choice that we have. And all of us sitting here go, oh, I'm going to believe the word. Really? Then live it. You, believe, you know what? You live what you believe. You do what you say you believe. If you think something's a great investment, you invest your money into it. You don't tell other people to do it. I'm not here to sell you on something that I don't believe, that I don't try to incorporate in my own life. And that's the wonderful thing about standing here and knowing that, guess what? Follow me around anywhere you want. I'm not perfect, but I'll tell you what. I do my best to try to live the life that I say that, I, that I'm presenting every week. I make mistakes, but when I'm wrong and, uh, and I'm shown clearly from the Word of God that I'm wrong, then i got a responsibility to confess it and live it. See, it's no double standard in God's program. We're all in the same boat. we all got to live what we say we believe. And the lust of the flesh is, is Satan taking things that God has given us and wanting us to somehow fulfill them in a way that's not pleasing to God. The second thing is the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. Uh, what, you don't want to talk about that next week? But the problem is, these are things that will stunt your growth. And look at the last thing, the pride of life. We're going to go through those, those last two. The lust of the eyes, and man, I'll tell you, we can spend... Well, as you know, I can spend forever on anything. <laughs> but, uh, but we can spend a lot of time. You know what? And, 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 you know, I, don't, I don't even feel like I need to apologize for that. And I'll tell you why. Because all week this week, you will be constantly bombarded with messages that say that these things are okay. What's wrong with drinking? Hey, anybody going to watch the NBA final today? I know I will. And you know what I'm going to see? About 7,000 beer commercials. That's what I'm going to see. And every one of them are going to be so appealing and so attractive and make me feel like it's okay. Isn't that the truth? It's okay. Every one of them are going to make me feel that way. I am going to be bombarded with messages all through this week that tell me that this is okay. The world says it's okay, and I've got to get back into the Word of God and be reminded continually by God's Word that it's not okay. So if you don't learn anything else today, learn this. You need to stop loving the world system because the world is wrong. The world system is way off base. The world system is in opposition to God and is trying to do everything. Look at it this way. If you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, Satan has lost you for all of eternity. The only thing he can do now is try to just screw up your life. The only thing he can do now is try to destroy your testimony before people who haven't put their faith and trust in Christ. So what he wants you to believe, that it's okay. It's okay. And let me just tell you this, from the Word of God, and the Word of God is my authority, it's not okay. It is wrong, and it's a lie, 
And it's a deception from the pit of hell itself. It is wrong. The lust of the flesh, living to please your fleshly desires, is wrong if it doesn't line up with the Word of God. You believe it, then you live it. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity just to look into your Word. Father, you know that we're bombarded daily, not even daily, we're bombarded moment by moment as we go throughout our week with people who are trying to convince us that this world is right. And as we'll see as we go through your Word, we see that this world is passing away. This world is temporary. And the things that we see don't last, and that which we don't see is eternal. So we need to look at life through your word. You say that we need to live by faith and not by sight. We need to believe what your word teaches us. God, help us to see that we live in a world that's hostile to you. It's in opposition to your ways. And as people who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, may we understand that it's in hostility to us as well, for it put our Lord to death. God, help us to see it. And help us to get back into your word so that we can discern what is true. You say that we're to be sanctified in truth and that your word is truth. May we have a hunger and desire to have a new appreciation for your word and for what it teaches. And God, we just thank you that because we'll live in obedience that we'll be a light to this world. And not only a light to others and that will attract people to Jesus, but also that we won't experience the consequences of living a life in rebellion against your ways. And we just thank you for the protection and the safety that your word offers us and the freedom to be able to obey it by, by our own free will. And we just thank you for that. Father, I just pray that uh, every one of us will leave here changed today, that we'll leave here confronted with er- areas of our life that we need to confess, and that we'll walk the walk and not just talk the talk. And we just thank you in Christ's name. Amen.